in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I am so excited to be here today to share a different twist on adventure. Remember, adventure is trying something new, stepping outside your comfort zone, and I have known our guest today for a really long time, and as I share in this episode, he's had quite an influence on me. Adventures don't always follow linear paths based on your plans. We had a number of our travel plans go awry this summer, which has contributed to me taking a break from the podcast in August. We also talk about building a network and a community, and I find it ironic that we recorded this episode in early June when, while I was parked in Jillian Jonrud's driveway. Turns out Jillian and Brad are very ordinary people who also value the ability to design your life and both happen to be doing it with kids. If you are interested in learning more about this, I really enjoy podcasting. I really enjoy conversations without all the ads. So I am going to suggest if you find joy or inspiration from my work, you can buy me a cup of coffee to say thanks and support the show. If you want to go deeper with any of the content or get more engaged, you can always find additional ways to support the show through the links in the show notes. Without any further ado, I want to introduce our guest, who spent years in public accounting as a CPA. Brad reached financial independence at the age of 35 through diligent savings and investing. Brad is passionate about everything from saving money to living a healthier lifestyle, to boring things like tracking your finances and cutting down on your tax bill. But his favorite topic is leveraging credit card rewards to save more money and take trips you never would have dreamed possible for pennies on the dollar. He's the co-founder and co-host of Chooseify, which has become one of the largest financial independence communities in the world. Every podcast episode, video, and blog article is packed with relatable, real-life content crowdsourced from the Phi community. Each week, they share their best life hacks, strategies, stories, tools, and resources to help you gain control of your money and get 1% better each day on your journey to Phi. Brad Barrett, it is so exciting to have you. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Heidi, my friend. This is fun. I'm excited. I know. It feels like such a long time coming. I mean, I think I've been on this podcast journey because of you and and your work with Choose FI, but also on the financial independence movement because of you and the travel rewards bandwagon. So feels like you've been an inspiring story for a lot of people, myself included. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey. Uh, what were some of the things as you embraced financial independence? I know travel rewards came before that maybe. Talk to me just a little bit about that transition point when you realize that there was something other than the traditional lifestyle that you could explore? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey for me. It's funny because even in my own head, I think of myself as just like a cookie cutter suburban dad. I know, which is which is silly because when I actually really reflect on it, I've had a fairly interesting last 15 years. But I think what's funny is even when you're doing interesting things, it just feels like regular life. And yeah. you're just, you're putting one foot in front of the other. And you're just trying to make decisions that that push you forward. And, and we always talk about those 1% actions to make your life better. For me, it's been 
hundreds of those things. And frankly, there's been a real intersection of entrepreneurship, just every step along the way. And I think that might actually be one of the most interesting parts because, you know, my financial independence journey, sure, there are some inflection points. I think clearly moving from a high cost of living area to a lower cost of living area was a massive one. We grew up in Long Island, New York. My wife and I got married. It was 17 years ago at this point. And, and this was predating the FI movement in its current incarnation, certainly. But we said to ourselves, we just feel like we're always going to have to give something up living here in Long Island. And that was where the only place we'd ever known. That was the only place we'd ever lived. Our family and friends were there. We both were CPAs. So we theoretically could have had nice careers, if you will, if you cared about such things. But we somehow or another had the wherewithal at 26, 27 years old to say, and again, predating the FI movement, the modern FI movement, to say, this is not the life we want because there's someday there are going to be kids mm -hmm. in a perfect world. We would like the option, right? To have one of us stay home with those future kids. And that didn't mean it was necessarily going to happen or that was a hundred percent the plan, but, but at least to give yourself some optionality. And it didn't seem like living in a high cost of living area that we would ever have an option to do anything other than work 50 hours a week each. Yeah. Right. So that was, I guess, really the inflection point with my FI journey. And then obviously there's the, the other things, right? The, hey, we drove old cars, which yeah. sounds insignificant, but it's a multiple hundred thousand dollar difference for each car over a 20 year period. You know, those kind of things, things that, that most of your listeners know at this point. But really, to me, I think the most interesting part of my journey has been this through line of entrepreneurship. And it's always felt, or for a very long time, it felt like two steps forward, three steps back, two and a half steps forward, two steps back, you know. But that said, it was skill building mm -hmm. and it was learning and it was failing forward and realizing what you do and don't want to do. I think I first read, have you ever read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim yeah. Ferriss? Yeah, yeah. You have. Okay. So that was a lightning bolt moment for me. Like that was, and I read it very, very early. I don't remember precisely, but it was minimum 12 years ago, 12, 14 years ago. So essentially when it was released. And I just realized there's something else out there for me yeah. other than sitting in an office, being a corporate state tax return accountant, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. And I think what you're highlighting is, you know, a normal life looks normal based on what you're comfortable with. I, I had to laugh like our non-traditional life still looks like normal life. And I've I've come to right. know that. I mean, we're traveling in an RV. This is by means not normal for 90 percent <laughs> of Americans, but it's become very normal. I think, you know, you step into this. Yes, the step off the hedonic treadmill is maybe scary or different. You know, moving from Long Island may have been against the norm for you, but then it quickly becomes this almost like adaptation mode. I want to come back to, though, you know, those uncomfortable steps. Maybe we talk more about your entrepreneurship journey because those are the like uncomfortable moments when you don't always know what's on the other side. I feel like you're a pretty, oh, how would I describe you, Brad? <laughs> 
Like you're a very thoughtful <laughs> person, right? Like you go through and there's a planning process involved. So I feel like the entrepreneurship journey, though, it's it's hard to sometimes predict what's on the other side and stepping off into those, like you said, failing forward and being okay with that. Um, do you want to talk through about your just entrepreneurship yeah. a little bit? Because I think that's a form of adventure we haven't really talked about on Ordinary yeah. Sherpa at all. Yeah, and what a great way to put it is is adventure. And I, I probably wouldn't have conceptualized it like that, but but it it has been this crazy adventure. And I mean, to imagine, I don't remember precisely when it started. It was somewhere around that four hour work week. So let's just, for argument's sake, say thirteen years. I think that's probably the safest bet. So sometime around twenty ten. It might have been a little bit before that, but I think that's safe. So I read this book, lightning bolt moment. I read in the book, if you remember. Tim was talking about a drop shipping business, yes. which he had, and it was around something preposterous called uh, French sailor shirts is, is what he did, which is so silly. But when I read about this drop shipping business, I'm like, wow, that is the most elegant business model of anything I've ever heard of in my life. You essentially, you have no inventory. There's more or less no risk. You're just a storefront. If you get a sale, you get all of the gross revenue. And then you just simply at that point in time, go and buy the product from your manufacturer who ships it for you and does everything. And you just essentially net the profit between those two prices, more or less. This is amazing, especially for an accountant. I'm like, I'm doing cartwheels thinking how wonderful (laughs) this is. And what's crazy is one of my friends was a very early internet entrepreneur. And he actually had a printer ink cartridge, like a recycled ink cartridge drop shipping site. What a coincidence that, I mean, at that point in time, nobody had internet businesses. I mean, Heidi, right now, everybody, you know, tons of people have blogs and podcasts and it's so cheap and easy and, and ubiquitous, but 13, 15 years ago, it was really, really rare. And this was, I was in his wedding party, you know, this is a a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I somehow convinced him after reading the four-hour work, I'm like, let's start another business together. So we partnered up. I don't know why or how I was able to convince him, but I did. And we wound up buying a website. So there was a marketplace, an online marketplace called flippa.com, F-L-I-P-P-A. I think it doesn't exist anymore, but I suspect it redirects to like the, the current model. And we bought a firewood storage rack <laughs> drop shipping site. And I still remember to this day, was the purchase price for the entire website and business. Wow. Yeah. Which it's crazy. $512. (laughs) And, you know, naturally, as you you will be shocked to imagine, there's not a massive (laughs) online (laughs) marketplace for (laughs) or need or. Yeah. So that said, they were essentially like mired on like page five of the Google rankings. And my buddy knew in 2010 version of SEO, how to get these things to rank, which frankly, at that point was just a lot of like gray hat and maybe black hat SEO, like the kind of gaming Google. But at that point, quote unquote, everybody was doing it. That was that was the modern day SEO. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we actually rose really high in the rankings pretty quickly. It was wild. Like, I mean, I, I will never forget the day a random stranger would come to my kind of bootleg firewood-rack.net website. It had a dash in it and the <laughs> .net. <laughs> and I mean, they'd buy a firewood storage rack for $300, $400. 
all I would do was forward the email to the manufacturer. It wasn't even like an, a middleman. It was literally the manufacturer. They'd do everything. They'd send it out and they'd just bill me and we would profit like 30%. So you make $100 for just forwarding an email and essentially having this storefront. You know, of course, that's the kind of idealized way of looking at it, but there was a lot that went into it. We had to, yeah. back in those days, there wasn't Shopify. You had to get like, I think through authorized.net it was. Wow, I'm remembering from like way back in the memory banks, like credit card processing and you had to do sales tax. It was, you know, there were a lot of steps. So it's easy to say, oh, this is easy. But I learned a ton of things. But I think it's interesting where doing the wrong thing catches up to you. And mm. I think this was one of my biggest learning lessons from these early adventures was Google smart and to their great credit, they're creating search rankings that they want to serve up the absolute best site. And if you're doing nefarious things, whether it's common practice or not, you know, right from wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think clearly the articles we were producing to like keyword stuff, things were just, they were junk, they were garbage and we deserve to get smacked down. And we did. And then we never had another sale again. Yeah. So yeah, that was like the first thing. And then I pivoted. I had others of those websites that were essentially content farms and just, they all got destroyed to Google's great credit, of course. I had a soccer website called soccertools.com, which I don't know that I ever really talked about, but I mean, I was sitting there, I was literally coding like HTML tables of like the English Premier League rankings. Like, I mean, it was wild. This was way before I'm a English soccer fan going back to like the nineties, like way before it was welcome to Wrexham and Ted Lasso and things. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I was sitting there like a crazy person, like coding these HTML tables. And, you know, of course that site didn't go anywhere, but the real lesson from that adventure was, okay, A, I've learned a ton of skills that I still use today. Like I still have those rudimentary HTML skills that I can use in my modern day WordPress site. And I think the other thing I learned was to not be insincere. And really authenticity is important. Like it's hard to imagine the Brad Barrett of today being that person who had seven different content farms going and like paying $5 to somebody to write an article. Like it's, it's crazy. So they were failures, yes, but they really weren't because it was just it was just some time and i learned that massive lesson of you have to be authentic well and i i love that thank you for going so deep on that because i think there's two lessons that i got out of that and i'll probably take this out in the key takeaways a little bit but one of them was finding someone ahead of you on the journey was really helpful cuz having that friend yes you read it in the 4 hour work week but then finding someone like your friend who was doing this makes you get to like jump the line, right? You don't have to figure out the DIY method and read all the books or watch all the YouTube videos. If you find someone who's done it, it makes the process and the path of the journey so much easier, even if it's hard, right? But it, you get to jump the line a little bit. So I think that was one of the lessons I took out of there. But I also think you've learned that even these little snippets of experiences benefited you in ways that may not be profitable in the front end. So I talk, I mean, I don't really talk about it on this podcast, but I had a lot of little entrepreneurial things too. Everything from like MLMs to I had my own photography business. I had my own blog back in like when blogs just started. I don't yeah. even know if it's existing, but it taught me like, how do I create content and what, not even for my audience, but like what is draining for me versus what is uplifting for me? What do I find joy in versus what feels like just another job or what have I turned into a job? So it's interesting that, you know, 
our path to entrepreneurship doesn't always mean it's profitable from day one. It's not a get rich quick scheme, but I think you've learned some really fascinating things on that journey that have, have really been insightful and in, in who you are and how you got here today. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it's, you know, it's so interesting how you're talking about jumping the line and having this yeah. friend and such, right? And that's a cool way to, to conceptualize it. I, I almost think of like the intersection of, of luck and preparedness in success and like the overnight success, which was 10 or 15 years in the making, right? It's like, right, right. Nobody sees that. <laughs> no, nobody sees that at all. All of the the failures and things. But, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about that luck a lot. And I think so many people want to believe that they're self-made and they they did it all on their own through ingenuity and smarts and hard work. And, and of course there's that, right? Like, of course there's that. Yeah. But how many of how many people out there had those exact same things and didn't get that little stroke of luck? Like the Bill Gates growing up with the high school that had the one computer in his state in essence, you know, whatever this the whether mm-hmm. the story's apocryphal or not. I, I think it's real. But or me, again in two thousand nine or two thousand ten, just happening to know one of the very few people in the world at that point who had a drop shipping site and he was one of my good friends. Like that's crazy, mm-hmm. right? Like you, I couldn't have prepared for that. Or as we kind of move into more of the entrepreneurial journey is, and this is really shortcutting because because I, I want to maybe go back to some of the travel reward stuff, which is interesting and the, the business building, but just how I met Jonathan, my partner on Choose FI is, is crazy. You yeah. think of the 27 things that had to go right, every single one of them for us to have ever met, not less hung out, not less me followed up with him, not less him say, hey, I want to start a podcast. Like all of these things, they're crazy. And it's like, he heard me on the Mad Scientist podcast and he's like, oh, this guy, Brad is in Richmond. He's into travel rewards and he's into financial independence. And he's like, I am too. Those, That's me, all three of those things. <laughs> and he just shot me an email to my contact page for whatever reason at that point was like, he's like, Hey, you want to grab lunch sometime or grab coffee for whatever reason? I didn't just click delete. I said, yes. And I mean, obviously, Heidi, you know, Jonathan, he talks a mile a minute might be an understatement. (laughs) So you can imagine our hour long lunch. I spoke maybe 1% of the time, 2% if I'm lucky. (laughs) And he was just really interesting. And, you know, he had this idea for a website. He's like, you know, I'm going to get started, blah, 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 blah. And, and I think, as you certainly know, a lot of people have ideas and how many of those people actually follow through on them and, and never do anything, regardless of success or not, that's irrelevant. It's how many people actually follow through. So a couple of months later, and keep in mind, this was a random stranger I'd met for 45 minutes over burgers. I just shot him a text message or something a couple of months later. And it was like, essentially, Hey man, did you ever get started with that, that website? And he said that was the lightning bolt that basically said, wow, somebody cares. This guy cares. And oh, wow, he's actually chugging up at me. I haven't done a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he literally in the next 24 hours bought chooseify.com and he wrote a couple articles. And then he wrote me back. He's like, oh, yeah, I've got the website. It's right here. Because <laughs> I was thinking about this. You know, in the DIY space, especially in entrepreneurship, like, is there, and we don't have to go into this because I feel like this could be a really theoretical question. Is there a way to cultivate luck? And I think what you're 
take on uh, authenticity, though, is one that I think is really genuine, that when you start to build people who trust you in the space, it kind of does help nurture that luck along a little bit. You know, like you said, there were 67 things that needed to go right and they lined up. But at the same point, it's because you had that trust between you or you had built that and you had a track record of being a good person. You know, there's a lot of things that do line up in the right spaces. I don't know if we can actually cultivate luck, but in my head, I feel like authenticity is one of those key pieces to having a good ingredient for a lucky life. I love that. And I do think you can cultivate luck. So it's not just like, oh, it's not like the universe is just rolling the dice somewhere and that's all that <laughs> that you're impacted by, right? The phrase that I love and I've been using for years is luck surface area. Like how do you increase your luck surface area? Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, a really good visual for, okay, yeah, there is luck. Because frankly, I could have run my life in a Monte Carlo simulation 10,000 times and probably X number of them would have been success. How many of them would have been choose of it, It's impossible to know, right? Like there is always chance. But I think what I did over many years was I built skills. I read and consumed content voraciously. And I built what I think, I think frankly, like my most valuable asset is I built a world-class network of friends. And that has been massive. And I think it comes from being authentic. I think it comes back to that. People can read through someone who's just that kind of spammy marketer person. They can see that person in five seconds, right? It's just obvious. But when you're building actual friendships and relationships, and even sometimes when it's not just a friendship and it's a business transaction, but it's you make it a win-win. You are a genuinely nice human mm-hmm. being. Like Those are the type of people that others are pulling for and rooting for. And when they have somebody they need to go to, they go to you instead of the person who is kind of mean or short with them. And that's just the way it works. That's humanity. We need to understand that. And it's like a superpower is just being a very nice human being. Yes. And I can attest, I have met you in person now officially. <laughs> I had to laugh because at one of the networking events, I think someone came up who doesn't know Brad Barrett, who doesn't know Chuzafi. And he's like, so what do you do? And you're like, I guess I'm a podcaster now. <laughs> you, know, like, you have like how many millions of downloads and, you know, like in some people's minds, you're on a pedestal. But I think you've been that person, you know, to go back to your journey that you've been that person ahead of them on the path. And you've just been very authentic in saying like, oh, here's how I can help or here's what I can do and, and holding people accountable. It, it does align very well with like the Sherpa mentality because I think finding people who lift you up, you know, because I think being ahead of people on the journey is fun, right? Like it's it's nice to contribute in a way to say like, yeah, I was there once. It's great to see other people learning from this process or taking steps And at the same time, you know, I'm also learning from so many other people ahead of me. And so I appreciate that they're willing to lean back occasionally and and help me out or contribute in such a way. There's so many pieces there. And your surface area of luck, I love that. Increasing the surface area of luck is just a really great metaphor for understanding the complexities of, you know, it's not just this business happens because you followed all the steps. There's a lot of little pieces in there that you can do to increase the surface area of luck. I think I'm going to transition us just a little bit because I do think one of the key pieces that attracted me to the Choose F5 movement, to this work, was your experience and understanding of travel rewards. First of all, it was so exciting to find someone who was using travel rewards with kids because, you know, you see all these like female solo travelers or these like 
you know, tech bros, so to speak, that are doing these things. And I was like, that's great, but you're a party of one, maybe two at most. The rules change pretty significantly when you're a family of four or five. And so seeing you on that path was really inspiring. I know you had done travel rewards as part of your entrepreneurship journey, but can you just talk me through how you have really leveraged travel rewards to be part of your overall asset portfolio and helping you be more adventurous or take next steps in things that you may have not done if you didn't have that in your asset pool? Yeah, it's funny because the travel rewards aspect is really like a through line of my entire journey. And, and I know we haven't talked about it in the first 20 some minutes, but but it, it's amazing how even when you mention Sherpa, obviously, which is so important to to what you're talking about here is, is that's how that's how I really think of myself with all of the content that I create. And I, I hate that that phrase content know, creator or whatever, but like that's what it is. I am essentially trying to shortcut the learning curve for people like me, because I always think, okay, if I've been able to do this, then it's replicable. Other people can do this. And there are millions of other families like ours that can benefit. And that's from many aspects of the financial independence world and certainly travel worlds. And because things seem complex, they seem daunting, right? And when most people are met with complexity, what do they do? They say, oh, it's not for me. I can't do that. It's too hard. I'm not going to learn. I don't have the time, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can fill in every blank, right? But what if somebody made it simple? And that's kind of like the operating principle of my life is simplicity. I abhor complexity. I absolutely abhor it. And I don't think life is complex. I really don't. I don't think it has to be. I think there's beauty in simplicity. And usually, and this is a total sidebar, but usually any type of complexity that is sold to you is basically just to enrich the person selling. Yeah. Because whether it's personal finance is the most obvious, right? Like, oh, this crazy life insurance policy. Like, who's actually benefiting from that? It's it's the agent getting the massive commission because they're more or less tricking you into buying something that you simply don't need when you need term life insurance, right? So anyway, sidebar <laughs> over. So Travel Rewards has been, you know, we talked obviously about the entrepreneurship journey, and I know you asked more specifically about my personal life, but I think it really is tied together so inextricably that, that it's important to mention is really how I got started with my first personal finance site that became vaguely successful was I put together a trip to Disney World for my family of four using rewards points. And, you know, again, back in those days, which it sounds like ancient times at this point, it was literally 10 years ago, I think it was May of 2013. And I said, okay, I've been researching travel rewards for a while. And it seems sketchy, because at that point, it did seem sketchy. But I think this is real. I'm going to dip my toes in and I'm going to put this together. And I just literally, I went methodically through it, just piece by piece. Oh, wow. The airline flights down to Orlando are super easy because it's Southwest. And when you're pursuing travel rewards points, even today, modern day, Southwest is the absolute easiest airline to use, especially for families, right? right? So you ask for families, like most of the travel rewards, travel hacking, whatever you want to call it, sites that you see, like you said, are solo female travelers or these 23-year-old guys flying first class to Abu Dhabi. And it's like, okay, you know, good for you, I suppose, but that's not my life. That's not my family. I, I want to take one trip a year with my family, basically, like in the, in the normal confines of my life. Well, there are limited airline flights, 
right? There are limited frequent flyer seats using most rewards programs. So in your case, family of five, for us, family of four, like that's going to be really hard. But if you use Southwest miles, so you can get them from Southwest cards or Chase Ultimate Rewards transfers, those are the easiest things in the world. They're amazing. And are Southwest the most valuable? No, they're not, but they're fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic and they're easy to use. Hotel rewards points are super easy. Today, I love Hyatt hotels. Again, Hyatt credit card, Chase Ultimate Rewards transfers, right? Exactly. In those days, it was Starwood. That was the other award chart that was fantastic, similar to Hyatt. And lo and behold, there were, and still are, the Disney Swan and Dolphin. You could have used Starwood points back in the day. Today, you can use Marriott points. And it's like, oh, wow, those are actually pretty easy. Like, I think I can do this trip to Disney World. And I think that's the part, right? When you actually take the first step, it seems so complicated. But like you said, when you did it, you're like, oh, it actually wasn't that hard. I think your first redemption is the hardest. And you can probably speak to now, I'm doing one right now. And and I'll say, I haven't done this yet. I haven't done a lot of complex things. I I abhor complexity as well. So keeping things Mm -hmm. as simple as possible. But for example, we are Heading to Alaska for the summer. We'll be in the RV. Not ideal to just, you know, come back home anytime. But unfortunately, we learned my mother-in-law has cancer and my husband wants to fly back just to be with her during a portion of that time. Now it's easier because I feel like we have, through the years, accumulated travel rewards. And it's like this hidden gem of an asset that we just have available to us. But it's still, you know, it's still scary sometimes when I'm trying to figure out, okay, we're trying to pair together Alaska airline miles, what transfers well, can we use a stopover, you know, all these different tools that are in the toolbox that you don't always use until you need them. But once you use them, you realize like, wow, this is something I already have. I'm just leveraging a tool that I already have. And it would have been just outside of my zone of awareness if I hadn't been paying attention or if I hadn't been trying these things or knowing who might I go to to figure this out. I think that helps on that journey. I know you've since done tons of travel rewards, you know, for various things. And and that we can continue talking about that if you want. I'd like to, you know, hear more about your journey. What has travel rewards really allowed you to do or a more recent one? maybe how you're using travel rewards as an asset today versus 10 years ago with the the Disney one, because that still holds true, correct? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think your point about, about having that as this asset in the bank, in essence, is there's real value there. And I know personal finance experts like to say that money is fungible, which is like a real fancy way of saying just Money is money is money. Like, sure, you can put it in, you can earmark it for different things. You could put it in different envelopes. You can have it in different accounts, but money's the same. And I think intellectually, you know that. But that said, I don't think the practical application of our lives is that that's true necessarily. Because frankly, just do the kind of mind scenario of, hey, you got a gift card for a couple hundred bucks for your favorite store. Is it more likely that you're going to spend $200 at that store with the gift card or with regular cash, obviously with the gift card. So that may incentivize different behavior, which is good, bad, or indifferent, depending on the situation. I'm not trying to make a make a judgment, but I think clearly money is not fungible. And it's the same with travel rewards. Man, it just feels fantastic to have this store of points. And for me, I think we've earned, I, I forget what the exact number is, but it's minimum two and a half million points over the last decade 
just from opening these very targeted credit cards. Now, naturally, travel rewards with credit cards, it's gotten a little more difficult because, again, the credit card companies, to their great credit, have become smarter with how they approve you and there are more limitations now. It's still very, very doable. So don't think if you're getting into this now that it's too late because it's not too late. So we earned a lot of points in those early years. But I mean, realistically, that was a store of two and a half million points at two cents per point in value is $50,000 in potential travel. And now, I mean, that's just a wild amount of potential powder to use at any point, basically. And yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. And we certainly still use it until today. I know just a couple of weeks ago, I very speculatively booked a hotel in Pittsburgh for a Taylor Swift concert that I was thinking about taking my daughter to. And it was one of those things where, okay, I think, and this is actually a good tip for your audience. So uh, forget the Taylor Swift concert, it's, it's irrelevant, but hotel charts are wonderful, especially Hyatt. Again, I'm going back to that well, but when they have an award chart, what's so great about it is it doesn't matter if the Pope is in town, the Super Bowl is happening, Taylor Swift's having a conference, Berkshire Hathaway is having their event in Omaha. It doesn't matter. It's just very simply, there is an award chart. That hotel costs X number of points per night, 365 days a year. If there is a quote unquote standard room available to buy in cash, then you can use your points. Plain and simple end of story. So now you can see the huge value in that, right? So go to that Berkshire event in Omaha. Essentially, the high place in Omaha, Nebraska is, I forget, it's either 5,000 or 8,000 points a night. We'll say 8,000 to make it easier. Probably 363 nights a year. It's $150 in cash or less thereabouts. But when Berkshire's the event is happening, it's 500 to $1,000 but it's still those 8,000 points per night. Now that's a really cool thing. So to kind of forecast, hey, there's some massive event. Wow, I can really save money because otherwise I'm not gonna have many other options because again, now going to this Taylor Swift thing in Pittsburgh, there are 50,000 fans descending upon Pittsburgh and all the hotels are $800 a night. All the Airbnbs are sold out. So when I first went to that high place website, the hotel was booked that night. But what I did was I put a recurring task in my Todoist, which I absolutely love. It's like my little uh, to-do list app, check back to Hyatt Place every single day. And it just opened up that there was a night and I quickly booked it with my points. The points are already sitting there. And voila, I have this room if if we need it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because I think that's the hidden gem of we look for hidden gems all the time. And I think when you have this stash of points, you can be you don't have to be so refined on saying, well, it didn't work for me. Bad luck. Right. Going back to, you know, increasing your surface area when you have those tools and you're you're willing to continue to, you know, make the effort. It's amazing what the rewards can be. I do chuckle a little bit. And I have to give you a little hard time because I always laugh. My audience probably identifies more with the Taylor Swift concert than the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. <laughs> nice, nice. Hey, that works for me. I, I identify with the Taylor Swift more too. Oh, so. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I give you space. Connecting with you through your podcast, through Travel Rewards, through your FI journey has just been really inspiring for me. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Choose FI podcast and, and really how this evolution of your entrepreneurship journey has, has come to light in, in Choose FI and, and give my audience a couple of uh, key takeaways from your experience in the Choose FI podcasting space? Yeah, it's uh, 
man, it's been six and a half years, which is still hard to believe to this day. And to me, what is really shown through for me is people are looking for community and people are looking for stories that they see themselves in. And when you have those two things and you have them both operating at the same time and to such great effect, you have people who feel involved in something. And I think that has been the secret sauce of Choose a Five from the very beginning is Jonathan and I did not hold ourselves up to be world-class experts at anything. And we kind of self-deprecatingly say that, of course. And I think we're obviously knowledgeable. I'd be lying to you if, if I was saying I'm not. Clearly, I'm a CPA. I could do all that other nonsense. But at the end of the day, we're just two normal suburban dads just trying to figure out life. And I think our original tagline was experiments in financial independence. And though we didn't exactly, we used to call it like, I don't know if you remember this idea, like, oh, look into the fishbowl, Jonathan would say of like the fishbowl of his experiments. And like, you know, that's how he thought about it at first was like, we're really going to do this in front of everybody. It would be us doing the experiments. But we very quickly realized like that is so limiting. This is about what we now call it, which is the ultimate crowdsource personal finance show. And that is, that's the magic because if it was just limited to what Jonathan and I could bring to the table, it's going to get pretty boring pretty quickly. And I think the real magic has been not having world-class, I mean, it's always nice to get some famous guest. I suppose you feel good about yourself, but, but those don't move the needle. It's those special episodes. It's, it's Deanna who came on and talked about her story from addiction to Phi and to see where she's come and where she is now. It's, it's those kind of stories that connect with people. And those are just community members. And that, that's what I love is just having more and more of our community members being involved. Mm -hmm. So people send in wins, people send in questions. Every week in my newsletter, I list six or seven of the the 1% actions. It's essentially small little wins that people, they got up off the couch and they took action that week to make their lives better in any respect. It's not just about money. And that's the other thing, right? Like if it was limited to just being about money, it would have been very boring a very long time ago. And it's so much more than that, right? Yeah. And I think as people get better at this, it, it could be easy to fall off and be like, okay, well, I figured out the financial independence thing. But I'll be honest, like we're not we're not fully financially independent. But I feel like we've gotten all of the pillars in place now that I understand it. It would be easy for me to stop listening, but I don't because I love hearing the stories of like, who else is on the journey? And to your point, I mean, your five-weekly newsletter came out today and there was someone looking for suggestions across the United States. And I was like, oh, well, I can help out here, right? Like we're currently, we've been in almost all 50 states and we found a lot of hidden gems. Like this is something and a place where I can contribute as well. So the community piece, I think, is so meaningful long after the finances. I always like to say that like the money is the least interesting thing about my story right now. Once you figure it out, it's like, okay, well, I'm more than willing to share my money story along the way. But at the same time, there's so many cool nuances that have come after we figured that out that I didn't know that that was even in store for us, right? There's so many things in the unknown of, of the independence and in freedom spaces that I think it's been so enlightening to hear and, and to stay connected to your community. 
Have there been key things that you're working on or that you're working towards? I know Jonathan, I've, I'm working with Jonathan on a separate project, which isn't even launched yet. And I'm super excited. And I would, I can attest that Jonathan is as much as he says, he's just like an ordinary guy like you, you guys are really fascinating people to work with too. So don't <laughs> cut yourself short. You are really interesting, fascinating and skilled individuals that have so much to offer this world. So I appreciate you and, and the work that you and Jonathan did. He's not your co-host right now. What kind of things are you envisioning for Choose FI and, and where are you going with some of the things with Choose FI? Yeah, well, I certainly appreciate the kind words, obviously. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, Jonathan is, uh, he is working like crazy right now. What's so cool is, sure, he's not my co-host anymore, but we're still business partners. He's still working every day tirelessly for Choose FI. And he just, I think essentially just got a little bit tired of being on the podcast because it's, you know, as you know, it's hard. I mean, the, the tyranny of the release schedule mm -hmm. at that point, we were doing 104 episodes a year, which is a lot. And to do that week in week out for right, like six plus years was hard. And I think he just needed a, needed a break. So we actually have a bunch of things kind of brewing in the background and you know, I, I will talk about them, but but please, everybody listening, don't hold me to this. Yes. I, we're going to try our best here. But we have three different things that are like in, in different stages. So first is I've always dreamed of being able to somehow curate and make searchable our 600 plus episodes of Choosify because it's lost to the ether. Like I couldn't tell somebody if somebody wanted to ask me, Hey, Brad, I know you've talked about like different hacks to save money on college over the years. It's almost impossible to tag every single one of those. It, it's just lost out there. I, I would basically have to say, go listen to 600 episodes yeah. and, and good luck or, or Google search or something. And, and maybe you'll get most of them, but not all of them. And I think one of the beautiful things is like the advent of AI technology now is going to make that mm -hmm. a lot easier. So we're in the process of basically not having like chat GPT do this, which kind of gives you wonderful answers most of the time, but then crazy answers some of the time, but actually just feeding those 600 episodes into a very dedicated AI that, that will only answer more or less from our list of podcasts, which I think could be really, really cool. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I am so excited about it, honey. I can't even tell you. Like that's that's the thing that is exciting me the most right now. I'm excited about that too. And I think that is fun because when you talk about AI, it can be scary, right? Especially for content creators. They think like, oh, this is taking away my job. I love that you're embracing it and thinking like, how could it work for us as opposed to how can we be scared and avoid it? You're embracing that unknown, so to speak, another little adventure in your in your space. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, who who knows? I, I it is very unclear. But yeah, I'm 0% worried about it It taking my job or anything that never crossed my mind. And it's just a tool. And I think that could be... So essentially, I think the overarching... You know, I said there are three things we're working on. But essentially, the overarching thing is, I think our podcast has always been top-level content. Like, I can humbly say that. But I think, you know, just the, the results have kind of proven out. But the website has always lagged. Because frankly, we were a podcast, right? We are a podcast the actual content on the website. And it, it's hard. It, you, it's hard to do, to be all things to all people. But I think now with this AI possibility, and also I'm going through and now trying to create hundreds of little short videos, like three to five minute videos that I'm calling the fundamentals of Fi. So basically like I want our website to be the premier location for 
financial independence content on the internet. And I think I think by creating those hundreds of videos, which honestly is actually pretty easy for me, so it's kind of rocking and rolling pretty good right now, I think there's a high probability that'll happen. And then kind of the third thing is Jonathan is kind of revamping the website, which is cool. But one thing that we're, I, I'm going to tease, which this is, please don't hold me to this, but I think there's a possibility that Jonathan and I are going to do a podcast or some type of short short podcast or content again, but it might actually only appear on our website or to people who are subscribers to our email list. So we're trying to think of ways like, because again, if we're putting all this time and effort into creating this amazing resource, but frankly, like we've trained people over the last six years to not go to our website because it's just a podcast. I think that will be an incentive. So for anybody listening, choose up.com slash subscribe. That gets you on my my newsletter. I send it out every Tuesday. And there hopefully in the next couple of months will be some type of announcement. But again, we're we're trying to figure that out. Yes. Thank you for that. And fair warning. Like it's easy to see what you think is coming. And then there's a lot of things that come along the way. So you have full forgiveness for my audience. I'm <laughs> I'm giving you that already. You know, it's okay to share something and not feel like you were beholden to that. So I appreciate you giving us some insights. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, a little bit, of, a little bit of grace certainly, but but yeah, we're. I I think the most important thing is we're just so excited. Like I I am genuinely. I, I've been to a couple of live events in the last three months. I went to Economy in Cincinnati in March, and I just went to Camp Fi here in Virginia over the Memorial Day weekend. And there's so much excitement in the financial independence community. There's so many new people which I've been astounded by. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, obviously of the many negatives of, of the COVID pandemic was I kind of lost touch with a lot of people, certainly that feeling that that pulse of the community on a on a weekly or monthly basis. And, and it's easy to sometimes then catastrophize in your own head of like, oh, are people still finding financial independence? Is this still growing? But I mean, to see it in person was just, it, it really emboldened me to create more, to provide more. I think that's the thing. You know, we talk about being a Sherpa like that. That is how I've always wanted. Like, I feel like I have this way of curating and explaining things simply that can help people take action. And I think, you know, frankly, like that has become my life's work. And I never could have imagined this, you know, 10 years ago, 13 years ago, but it is. And it's fun and it's exciting. And obviously it's a lot of work, but it's, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. And you have been a masterful curator of content. I think we've seen over the years, not just content, but bringing people together, bringing stories together, bringing communities together. There are so many different variations in on-ramps and off-ramps to FI, different ways. And seeing all of us come together at some of these events has just been really inspiring too. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to look at the world or look at the news and be really discouraged by what we're seeing. And this little subset, this little subculture that we have in the FI space has just proven over and over again. I have to laugh. I'll, I'll leave you with one last story and we can sign off here. But, you know, my husband did not necessarily sign on to FI, right? He kind of came along. I nurtured that process. I did a lot of the back end finances. And he just kind of, we joke, he reaped the benefits. He didn't always know why we were doing things the way we were. Um, but now being in this family gap year, seeing and meeting the people that I've been cultivating relationships with, both through the podcast and through Choose FI, fi, you know, financial independence movement, 
He's seeing why we did this. And I, I don't think you always know why you're working towards something or you have a very clear understanding of your purpose. And, and that's helpful, I think, but it doesn't have to be super refined at the beginning. You figure it out along the way. And so this journey for him has been fun to be a part of it, not knowing why all along. I mean, obviously we had conversations and he, and he understood <laughs> why, but at the same time, didn't see why until he visually saw wow, these are really just fascinating people. You know, we're, we've met with Jillian Johnstrude. We met with Bob Hines that we met at Camp Fi. You know, we've met up with all these really fascinating people along the way that, again, five years ago, I couldn't have predicted that. So I really owe a lot of this podcast, the stories that we curate, and the content and the people um, to you and your just unique ability to crowdsource, but also be a strong curator of community. And I, I appreciate you for all of that. So thank you so much for for coming on. Are there any last words you want to leave with my audience before we sign off for today? Uh, well, thank you, obviously, for such such kind words. I'm glad that it's uh, it's been so impactful to you. And yeah, I mean, I would just say to everybody is, is really everything stems from you taking action. And it's easy to passively take in information and listen to podcasts and read books and, and think you're enlightened. But you have to take action. You have to get up off the couch and do those little things to make your life better. And you're going to start seeing it snowball. And it just is going to become something extraordinary that when you look back three, five, 10 years from then, you couldn't have envisioned how amazing your life would be because of all of those little things. So just take action. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you, Brad. Thank you for coming on. So excited to continue to follow your journey as well. So such a fantastic conversation. I'm so excited he was here with you today. I have 13, lucky 13 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, sometimes when we are doing interesting things, it just feels like regular life, putting one foot in front of the other. Take the time to actually pause and reflect. On the past 10 years, it can be a real eye-opener for how far you've come. Hundreds of 1% action items can stack up to remarkable growth. Number two, entrepreneurship, starting with the book 4-Hour Workweek, was like a lightning bolt. As he states, I just realized there is something else out there for me rather than corporate tax return accountant. The example of the dropshipping business model really lit him up, and he reached out to a friend in his network who was in the early internet entrepreneur space, and somehow he convinced them to start a dropshipping business. Number three, Brad and his friend bought a dropshipping business from Flippa.com. Again, this link is in the show notes. By bootstrapping SEO, the 2010 version, they were able to get a few orders for firewood racks. Essentially, they'd get $100 for forwarding an email to the manufacturer to fulfill the order. While it may seem like that was the golden days of online businesses, there weren't the systems and processes in place that there are today. Number four, doing the wrong thing catches up to you. If you're doing nefarious things, whether it's common practice or not, you know right from wrong. To Google's credit, they were able to identify those that were doctoring search rankings and took care of that practice. Some of the skills developed in this unsuccessful adventure, however, built a foundation that propelled other businesses and adventures later in life. A key skill set was to be authentic and sincere. Number five, finding someone ahead of you on the journey is a key factor in your ability to take action and experience growth. Want to start a podcast? Want to get paid to create travel content? Want to design your life in a way that works for you? Perhaps I'm that person for you and can help you take the next first step towards action. Finding someone ahead of you also allows you to jump the line. 
Number six, snippets of experience, even in unprofitable adventures, can be key indicators of what brings you joy and allow you to test what you are good at. Brad likes to point out the intersection of luck and preparedness as being a factor in his success. The story of how he and his co-host of Chooseify, Jonathan Mendonza, met was a series of luck. Number seven, many people have ideas. How many of those people actually follow through? A couple months after meeting Jonathan, he sent him an email to see if he had gotten started on the website. That question and reaching out to him was the indicator that someone cared. And it was the impetus to Jonathan buying the domain Chooseify.com and writing a few articles. Hence, the story of Chooseify was born. As Bragg calls it, there are ways to increase the surface area of luck. One of Brad's greatest assets is the world-class network of friends that he has built over the years. It comes back to being authentic and genuinely a nice human being. These are the types of people that others are rooting for. It aligns well with the Sherpa philosophy of reaching back and helping others and boosting others from behind, as I discuss in my book. No one is going to be on the top in all areas of life. Number nine, Travel Rewards holds a through line throughout all of his businesses. Brad's intent as a content creator is to shortcut the learning curve for people like him. He knew if he was able to do it, then it's replicable. Things can seem complex and daunting. Offering a defined path allows others to try it, win, and build confidence. Number 10, simplicity is the operating principle of Brad's life. His theory is that any complexity that is sold to you is only to enrich the person selling it. Travel rewards can often be seen as complex. But through one of Brad's tasks to use travel rewards to take his family to Disney World over 10 years ago, he was able to make a simple process to guide other families. Number 11, travel rewards are like an asset in the bank. Through a combination of Southwest Airlines, Hyatt Hotels, which are both Chase Ultimate Rewards partners, he now keeps a pretty simple profile, allowing his family to easily take one or two free family vacations per year, saving their family thousands of dollars. Since he started, he's earned over two and a half million points over the last 10 years, which is roughly $50,000 lever to pull. Number 12, hotel award charts are not impacted by the latest and greatest jacking up the market rate of hotel rooms. When there's an award chart, that hotel requires X number of points per night. As Brad described the Taylor Swift concert in Pittsburgh, there were 50,000 people descending on Pittsburgh. All the hotels and Airbnbs were easily $800 a night. But because that hotel had an award chart, what would cost others up to $800 would be something more like 5,000 or 8,000 hotel points for him. Number 13, with regards to Chooseify podcast and brand, people are looking for community and stories they see themselves in. They quickly realize their personal experiments and in financial independence would be so limiting that they quickly pivoted to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. The real magic has been not having world-class experts on the show, but rather having everyday people from the community that have taken action and we can celebrate their wins with them. Everything stems from you taking action. There are a number of resources in the show notes in particular, some links that were mentioned, some resources. I also have a link to the podcast, their email list, and to their website. It's been an incredible resource for us. In fact, a lot of how we got to our gap year started with our journey in Choose FI on the financial independence journey. Thankfully, I've been able to design our life, and I'd love to help you design yours so that we could live some of the best years of our life while our children are still in the home with us as opposed to waiting until we were fully financial independent and fully retired. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me on the show. I always appreciate the different variations of what adventure can look like. Sometimes it's being outside, and sometimes it's just talking about how we could do life differently. 
Do something, take action, and make your life just 1% better. Until next week, keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.